You're listening to the DNB Supply Show podcast, your number one resource for living the country lifestyle. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, coming to you from my place in the country to yours. Well, hello, everybody. It's Matt. We have Gretchen Anderson back in the studio today, and she's going to be talking about preserving your bounty. So basically all the great stuff you are growing in your garden, on your fruit trees, wherever it may be, different ways that you can preserve that. And this was a very, very fun discussion to have talking about freezing, dehydrating, canning, and even fermenting. A lot of fun, a lot of stuff to learn. So uh, make sure and check out this episode as that time of year is quickly, well, it's already happening, right? Tomatoes are ripening and we were getting tomatoes off the vine. So enjoy this episode with Gretchen Anderson again, talking all about how to preserve all that great stuff you're growing this year. Well, joining us again today is Gretchen Anderson, and you probably remember her from earlier this spring when she appeared on the DNB Supply Show. She's the author of The Backyard Chicken Fight and the upcoming book, Secrets of the Lazy Urban Gardener. And Gretchen, you've got a a huge bio. I'm going to let you talk about it, but I want to say thank you very much for coming on the show again. Always. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be back with you. All right. Well, today we're going to be talking about, and this is your term and I loved it, so I stole it, uh, preserving your bounty and obviously preserving your bounty coming from your garden and and things like that. So I am really excited to learn about this. Right. You know, I, I became a master gardener a few years back and then an advanced master gardener. To write this book, I figured I better have some credibility sure. behind me, right? Secret of the lazy urban gardener. Uh-huh. So I did that. And then I would talk to a lot of people out and about when we would do our, our volunteer work. And they would tell me how they would just kind of let some of their stuff die on the vine. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what a shame. Yeah. So I ended up taking the course of study through the University of Idaho that's called uh, Master Food Safety Advisor. Okay. And that's where you learn all about food preservation, whether it be canning, fermentation, freezing, dehydrating, you are certified to help others learn about it as well. And so now I'm an, I'm, am an advanced master food safety advisor, and it's right up my alley because it's, it's something I've always done, but I've got to tell you, there were a lot of things that I did that were wrong, okay. <laughs> really wrong, you know, things like, oh my gosh, I could have really, you know, messed up on that. Mm-hmm. processing that food. So you don't know what you don't know until you take this class. And it's open to anybody. So it's great stuff through the University of Idaho. Well, great. Now, how long was that class? Many weeks, many weeks yeah. uh, into several months. And then you become certified and then you continue your education with volunteer hours and continuing ed as well. Are your tomatoes coming on? Uh, not very good, but we're no. not the best with the vegetables mm. here, but we're trying. We're trying. Okay. Well, I actually picked my first tomatoes this week, so we enjoyed them this week and and then I'm waiting for the rest of them to ripen. <laughs> <laughs> we, we always seem to get our garden in late. Oh, it it okay. already always corresponds with, uh, with autumn school year ending and, mm. and so that's a little bit late. And that's yeah. just... That's just on us being horrible gardeners. Of course. Well, no, no, you're not horrible gardeners. It's it's timing, right? <laughs> it's timing, yeah. but we try. We try. Yeah. Well, today's going to be exciting. So we're going to take all of the knowledge that you've got and everything that you've learned and everything you do, we're going to break it into four segments. We're going to talk about freezing, dehydrating, canning, and then fermenting. Yeah. We're going to do it in that order. Super. So that is going to be great. So I guess let's just jump in and start talking about freezing. You're off the air. You're telling me that's a very, very great way to preserve your food. So 
Let's talk about that. Right. When we were talking about preserving, that jumps into my mind first, because I got to tell you, that's the easiest way to preserve your food. If you have a big old freezer, let's talk tomatoes. There are two ways that I like to preserve tomatoes. And someone once told me the trick of taking those great big beefsteak tomatoes that you want to use, but you have so many of them. Mm-hmm. Back up just a bit. We wait so long to get those first tomatoes like I had right, this week. Right. And then you're waiting for more. And then all of a sudden they just explode, right? And uh-huh. what do you do with them all? So you get those big um, early girls or beefsteak or you know whatever um, variety that you like. You, you pull them off the vine. You wash them real nicely and make sure they're all uh, great tomatoes, not too soft, not too firm, perfect condition. You core them. Matt, and then turn them over upside down and score them. Okay. Okay. On the bottom. So I call it the core, score, and store method. All right. And then you put them on a cookie sheet. It's best to have one of those rimmed cookie sheets so they don't Mm -hmm. fall off and set many on the cookie sheet, put them in the freezer and let them freeze individually. And then what I do is I, I get a freezer bag once they're frozen. I always, always, because... My old brain can't remember, and I want everybody to label it, label Uh the date, label what it is. I put those frozen tomatoes in the bag, seal them up, put them in the freezer, and I use them all winter long. Awesome. Wonderful. Yeah, it's a wonderful way to use your tomatoes. Now, how do you use them once you pull them out? Uh Well, the reason why we cored them and scored them is what you can do is you can pull them out and say you're going to make a stew or a a soup. You can actually set them in the pot in the morning Mm -hmm. and they'll start to thaw. Once they eat, just have a little bit of thaw on them, you can grab their skins and just pull them off. Oh, really? Yeah. It's so easy. And, and and you have fresh tomatoes right there. Fresh frozen tomatoes. The one other way that I like to freeze my tomatoes, and I use it all season long, and it just fills the house with a beautiful smell, is I grow these um, wonderful little tomatoes called the sun sugar. Sun Gold is the variety that came out first. Mm-hmm. And they were the tomatoes that won all of the taste testings with the master gardeners. Okay. So they're little yellow tomatoes called sun sugar or sun gold. Sun, sun gold was the first. And then they came out with a different tomato called sun gold. The reason I like the sun gold is the tomatoes don't split as much. So now I'm growing sun gold. That's a lot of little tomatoes to do stuff with, right? right? So what I'll do is I'll, I'll pull in a bunch of sun gold, wash them, throw them in a pan, Drizzle just a little bit of olive oil on, throw in some garlic cloves, mm-hmm. and maybe even some basil, but I'll tuck that underneath the, the tomatoes so it doesn't get uh, too burned, and then I'll put them in the little toaster oven. Okay. And this is ongoing, okay, because you're bringing your tomatoes in a, an awful lot. So, so you've got this thing roasting in the oven, in the little toaster oven, mm-hmm. fills the house with these wonderful Italian smells. And then you wait until you see, and it's about 350, 400 degrees. You wait till you see a little brown on the golden tomatoes mm-hmm. and you've roasted them. Then you pull them out, let them cool, whiz them up in a blender or a food processor. You can put it through a food sieve or a, a, a strainer if you want, if you mm-hmm. don't want the skins and the, and the seeds. Mm-hmm. I put it in a freezer container, label it, and put it in the freezer for later. And it's, it's a marinara. It's, it can be a marinara. It can also be something that I use to make um, Mexican food with. 
really? because it has it depends on what kind of uh, herbs I put with it. But if I just do the tomatoes and garlic, I hope I'm making you hungry. <laughs> um, if I just do the tomatoes and garlic, then I can use it in in soups and, and like I said, in Mexican and stews and and Italian and all sorts of wonderful things. Awesome. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's take a commercial break. <laughs> I want to continue talking about this. I want to know more about freezing and, and get into the other things, too. Say you were to ride off into the sunset. Ideally, what kind of boots and clothes would you be wearing? For horseback riders of all styles, nothing beats the look and performance of Ariat. Available at D&B Supply. Everyone from famous rodeo cowboys to country music legends to equestrian Olympians turn to Ariat with confidence. You can count on them too. Think of Ariat as your ultimate riding companion for the life and times in the West. When you need to better outfit your ride with Ariat, stop on by your favorite D&B Supply. A cowboy's hat can make or break his summer. The right hat gives lots of shade, will last past the first thunderstorm, and is light and breathable so your head won't sweat like your horse does. For quality straw hats, Resistall is the company to hang your hat on. For over 90 years, USA-made Resistall straw hats have given cowboys across the country hats they want to hang on to. Resistall straw cowboy hats, the best all around. Available at your favorite D&B supply. Well, Gretchen, now that we're back, let's talk about dehydrating. So uh, you gave us some really good tips on how to preserve tomatoes through freezing. Let's talk about preserving your food through dehydrating. You know, I never thought I would be a big fan of dehydrating Mm -hmm. until I became an advanced master food safety advisor with the University of Idaho. We had several classes on it and it was really interesting. And back then I was eating a plant-based diet, so I wasn't interested in the in the jerky. Uh-huh. But you know, you can do so much with a dehydrator. And here's the deal. I coughed up a few pennies and bought a really nice dehydrator. Uh-huh. And then a month or so later, I found one in a thrift store and got it too. <laughs> okay. And they are workhorses most of the time in my house. We've got them going. In fact, I just dried a whole bunch of bananas for snacking great healthy snacks anyhow um the tomatoes i found my kids all of the family just absolutely love them and i'll slice a good tomato Mm -hmm. usually one that is more like a san marzano which is a um a plum tomato or a what are we talking about the romas it's a roma type tomato, and that's another one that one a taste testing event at the Master Gardener program, San Marzano. So I'll take that, I'll slice it, and I'll sprinkle a little garlic and parsley on them Mm -hmm. and dehydrate them that way. And my family eats them like they're chips. Yeah, we do the same here, and they are delicious. Aren't they? We do it that way. Yeah. Now, I want to ask you, because... Our dehydrator's probably got eight trays on it, something yes, like that. Yes, And so you get it all loaded up, mm-hmm. you dehydrate it, and what's the time frame we're talking about? Overnight? It depends on what the food is, yeah. Okay. And how thick your, well, if we're talking tomatoes, right. how thick your tomatoes are, and and what the consistency is that you want them. I want my tomatoes pretty crisp, and I've always been kind of a weirdo about wanting them to dry quite mm-hmm. a bit so I don't have any possibility of mold. Uh However, the bananas that I've been doing, I used to get them really, really dry. So much so that they'd almost break off a tooth. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) You don't want that. And the the ones that I dried this past week, they're just dry on the outside and and pliable on the inside and they're delicious. And and they're fine. They're fine. I'm getting over the, (laughs) the phobia of having, you know, some moisture content in them. Well, the reason I'm asking is because what'll happen at our house is we'll dehydrate a bunch, mm-hmm. bag them all up. Mm-hmm. They're delicious. 
and we'll spend the weekend dehydrating tomatoes and then like two or three days are gone. We've eaten all. You of them. eat them that oh, fast. Oh yeah. Oh sure. Yeah. Absolutely. You need to do more. <laughs> so, do you just constantly have the dehydrator going at home? Oh, I do. And in the summer, I've learned that I've got to put the dehydrators out in the garage. Okay. Because it's just too hot. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't have that warm air circulating in your house. But in the winter time, it's wonderful to have the dehydrators on in yeah, the that's inside. Right. It smells it keeps, very good. Yeah, it smells and it keeps it warm in the house. We are fans of the bananas, the dried bananas. Mm-hmm. All my, my family eats all those. And then um, I dehydrate grapes for raisins. They're delicious. Boy, if you haven't had fresh grapes dehydrated, mm-hmm. that it's it's just it's a life's simple pleasure. I am. Uh, I'm a very fortunate person when it comes to that. Uh, my family farmed grapes and still farms grapes in the Central Valley of California, and uh, they actually used to dry them on grape crates out in the sun. Wow! Yeah, for, for raisins, and you're right. That's delicious. That's Absolutely. fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So that, and then um, I I did 30 pounds of pineapple this past. Really? I want to say January. Uh-huh. Yeah. Let I'll, you know. We'll give a, a shameless plug to Fred Meyer <laughs> and, and or Croker. So you got to watch the circulars uh-huh. but one week a year they have a lost leader that is pineapple okay and it's a buck of pineapple and most of the time matt those pineapples weigh like three pounds okay so we're talking 33 cents a pound mm-hmm. that's you can't buy it any cheaper than that right so i will dehydrate pineapple and unfortunately same as the tomatoes like you mm-hmm. it doesn't last very long so next year it's going to be a lot of <laughs> a lot of dehydrating Absolutely. the pineapple yeah. So, well, let me ask you. So, the banana and the pineapple sound delicious. Are you adding anything to the banana and the pineapple when you dehydrate them? I always say, ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's kind of like secrets of the lazy urban gardener, secrets of the lazy food processor and preserver. I, I don't have time to dip them so that they stay nice and white. Mm-hmm. They're fine. They, they eat just the same either uh-huh. way. I don't put anything on them. Okay. Mm-mm. They're delicious. And so, on the pineapple, you're not putting sugar or something? like that oh no okay no they're so good you know what i like the pineapple dried better than i like it fresh actually oh, really yeah and do you dry them in rings or do you do it in chunks i will do um a blog on this for dmb mm-hmm. but I, there's a way to cut a pineapple kind of diagonally to okay. get the little eyes out and i wore gloves because the acid in the pineapple can really wreak havoc on your fingers after you've done 30 pounds sure, sure. of pineapple. And so I'll take all the eyes out and then just slice it. I don't take out the middle. It's pretty chewy once it's dehydrated. <laughs> Got <laughs> but, it. But it's so delicious. It's so worth it. Awesome. Awesome. Now, what else do you like to dehydrate? So tomatoes, I was telling you that we'll get the red ones and we'll, we'll uh, dehydrate them and it's they don't even last a year they don't last a year at all but you know what i did last year which was really surprising is i had a lot of tomatoes still on the vine and they were green Mm -hmm. so i pulled them in and i tried dehydrating the green tomatoes okay they were fabulous really fabulous yes i think just in the dehydrating process it brought out the sugars of the tomato Mm -hmm. and i just sprinkled them with the garlic and parsley and nary a word from my kids and my husband so yeah it went over big all right yeah well, I'll tell you what, let's take another commercial break, and when we come back, let's let's talk about canning. D&B knows that life in the West is defined by hard work, innovation, and constant improvement. d 
these values made the West what it is today, and these are the values that have made Wrangler the defining Western brand since 1947. Wrangler Apparel is designed to feel good in the saddle, look sharp at the rodeo, and work hard on the ranch. That's why Wrangler fits with classic Western heritage like a boot in a stirrup. For clothing that's a good value and steeped in Western values, stock up on Wrangler at your favorite D&B Supply. A well-worn pair of Danner boots has become a hallmark for hard-working and hard-playing people in the West, and everywhere else for that matter. Find your next pair of long-lasting, great-looking, made-in-the-USA Danner boots at D&B Supply. Hold a Danner boot in your hand, and you'll notice the handcrafted precision. Try it on, and you'll feel the difference. Test it against the elements, and you'll appreciate the value of a product that's built to last. From classic hiking boots to handcrafted work boots to fashion-forward looks to fit your daily life, stop on by D&B Supply to try Danner boots on for size. All right, Gretchen. Well, let's talk canning. This is something that I've always been interested in doing, and quite honestly, I'm intimidated by the process and by doing it. So tell us about canning. Canning's the big one, you know, when you come to the Advanced Master or the Master Food Safety Program at the University of Idaho. And if you've ever gone to the fair and you've um, gone into the culinary section and you've had questions about canning, the people who are volunteering their time and sitting at the booth, those are master food safety advisors or advanced master food safety advisors. And if you ever call into the extension office and have a question about canning, they are the ones who answer your questions. So now you know, you know, part of what we do. Mm -hmm. So I learned how to can from my grandma and my mom. Uh, I think my mom probably learned from my grandma, okay. who was her mother-in-law. And there was a chili sauce recipe that we used to do all the time. And I think we did our fair share of uh, salsa. And then we always canned plum jelly. And my mom to this day won't won't eat the plum jelly I make because she says that reminds me of the time that we didn't have any money, you know, that we were oh, poor yeah. and plum jelly was all we had in the cupboard. So I, I find it kind of like a treat from the past when I eat it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that life was so poor. But <laughs> anyhow, things have changed since then. It's a nice, it's a good thing. Canning has changed over the years so much that it's important to have a few things uh, in your back pocket in terms of a game plan and, and knowledge. If you have a recipe from your grandma, like I have, you need to find a new recipe that matches that or comes really close to it because recipes way back in the 1950s and 40s, even the 60s, called for a certain amount of vinegar and mm-hmm. vinegar strength has, has changed over the years. Oh. Yeah. Our grandparents would can and the acidity of a vinegar would be sometimes 5%. Now it's 4%. Okay. Sometimes 7% even. So it all depends on the the recipe and what kind of strength of vinegar that it's calling for. And vinegar is the preservative in many of the recipes that you're canning. So you want to make sure that you have a tried and true, tested and approved recipe. And there are so many out there. Don't be afraid to go looking or ask the University of Idaho for help in trying to match that recipe. We have some great recipes from our grandparents, my husband and I, and we've had to go find matching recipes. Interesting. So when you say go find a matching recipe, what does it look like to find a matching recipe? Well, I think if you don't know how to research it, you should call the extension office and say, hey, can you know, I've got this old recipe. Can you help me find one that's closest to it? Uh, for instance, my husband's uh, grandmother used to put up what she called green stuff, and it was mm-hmm. actually a, a mustard relish. And 
I searched the ball canning book and I searched the preservation, the, the approved preservation sites online. And you can also search universities online for a recipe that closely matched it. Okay. But is is up to date. So the difference between those two recipes when you find it is going to be the amount of vinegar they want you to use or the acidity. The acidity. Yeah, the acidity okay. in the in the vinegar. And then the, just the canning in and of itself, the the jars and the lids and mm-hmm. the rings have all changed over the years as well. Okay. I grew up where you had to boil the the lids, that's that flat little round part, uh-huh. right? Um, you had to boil them and you had to sterilize the rings as well. Now, most of the time if you read the directions on the package itself you don't have to boil them Hmm. so everything has changed and it's uh it's good it's healthier so often it gets nebulous with this whole thing because i work the culinary department at the western idaho fair Mm -hmm. and i'll hear people you know we'll talk to them about having a safe recipe and most of the time their comment back matt is well it hasn't killed me yet. <laughs> <laughs> yet being the operative word, right. you know, we all want to avoid any kind of foodborne illness or foodborne contamination, mm-hmm. botulism. I mean, it, it's deadly. So it's nothing to mess around with. And sure. that's why we're very serious about it. Right. And that's why I've been intimidated by it. Oh, right? don't be intimidated. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a lot of fun. You know, there's so much you can can. Buy a ball canning book and mm-hmm. follow the recipes to a T and you'll be just fine. You don't want to vary on a recipe whatsoever. Okay. Yeah. And you can can everything from obviously fruit and, and vegetables from your garden all the way through to meat, correct? Absolutely. Oh, yes. Yes, you can. You can water bath can most fruits. Mm-hmm. Water bath can some vegetables in vinegar solutions, but the rest of the the vegetables and meat need to be pressure canned. Okay. Okay. Because the pH, you need a certain pH for water bath canning and a certain pH requires the pressure canning. Okay. So the pressure canning is that when you use a pressure cooker? It's a pressure canner. A pressure There's a big canner. difference between a pressure cooker and a pressure canner. Boy, that's why we've yeah, got you here today. Yeah. Okay, so what is that? What's that difference? Well, a pressure cooker is actually just a cooker that you might use on your kitchen counter okay. to speed up the process of cooking something. Okay. It is not the type of instrument you want to use for pressure canning. You actually have to buy a pressure canner okay. that has a locking lid and a gauge on it. So... There's a big difference. Okay. You'll see some of those, you know, infomercials, right? Right. That tell you that you can can in some of those pressure cookers. Mm -hmm. And so far, we haven't seen anything that you can can in those pressure cookers. So be aware of that. Okay. So the difference between, you use two terms, the pressure... Canner. Canner. And then... water bath canning. What's water bath canning? Oh, I love, I love that... It, it isn't. It just doesn't roll off you, right? Um, water bath canning is, say, you have plums out back and you want to make some jelly. The pH is such that you can mix it up with sugar mm-hmm. and uh, some lemon juice, boil it, put it into the jars that you want to put it in, put on clean lids and rings, and then place it in a big pot of boiling water. Okay. Not you bring it up to boiling. So okay. you pr- you place those jars that are sealed into the water and then bring it up to boiling and you boil it for a certain amount of time depending on the recipe. And then 
once you've completed the time amount, then you let them cool. And what it does is it takes the air out of the, of the jelly and, um, the shelf stable is what it becomes. Yeah. So that's water bath canning. That's what I do a great deal of. Okay. Um, I paid keen attention to the pressure canning Mm -hmm. because I wanted to do pressure canning. And at the time, like I said, I did a, um, I was eating a plant-based diet. Okay. So you really do need to pressure can meats. Mm -hmm. So I knew that that wasn't anything I wanted to do. And the one vegetable that I would probably pressure can would be green beans. Okay. Right. Right. You have to, you have to pressure can green beans unless you pickle them and then you can water bath can them. Okay. (laughs) But I thought, you know what? Why don't I just blanch them? Do you know what blanch, you know what blanching means, right? It's going to be like boiling them, right? Right. You take the green beans from your garden, you put them in the, you blanch them in the water for a few minutes. Mm -hmm. It's a flash boiling. You bring them out and then you spread them out on a sheet freeze them in the freezer, bring them back out, throw them in a Ziploc bag, and you're good to go. You don't have to pressure can anything. Okay. You can freeze your beans. And so that's what I decided to do. Got it. And now everything you're talking about, whether it's pressure canning or the water... uh, Water bath. Water bath canning. Once that's done and it's done correctly, then you can put them on the shelf. They don't need to be refrigerated. Right. Awesome. Okay. Yes. And you can also process, like I just did some cherry... Jelly. I had a bunch of cherries because cherries, you know, they've been at a low price recently. And mm-hmm. so I bought some because my cherry tree isn't producing yet. So I made some cherry jelly and I wanted to do sugar free cherry jelly. So I did sugar free jello with the cherries. Okay. Not the black cherry jelly, but the sugar free cherry jelly. Okay. Because there's a huge taste difference and it was delicious, but there's no approved, tested and approved recipe for that, Okay. for for water bath canning that Mm -hmm. recipe. So I made it and I froze it. Got it. Yeah. You can do that. Okay. Now I remember, and it feels like it's been a while since I've got homemade jelly or jam from somebody and seen this, where there was wax on top of the the jar. What's the wax for? And is that no longer being done? Great question. In my mom's day and my grandma's day, they used to do a wax seal. No, we don't do a wax seal anymore. In fact, I still had some paraffin in my supplies when I started taking the Master Food Safety mm-hmm. Advisor class. And I went, oh, well, I don't need this anymore. It just won't work. You got to you got to do the whole water bath canning. So what changed? Why, why did we used to use wax and now we don't? Because we know that uh, you can get some contamination with the wax. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's not the safest it's, it's method. It's not a foolproof. No, it isn't. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So if you're still doing that, don't say that. Oh, it hasn't killed me yet. <laughs> one other thing. Uh, no, do, if we have to take a break, we can talk about <laughs> Why don't we do that? Let's okay. take one more break and we'll get back to that one other thing. Okay. The one other thing. Know when they say good fences make good neighbors? When you've got Balin Country gates and panels to really fence your livestock in. Also, when you let your neighbor in on the great deals you can find on Balin Country at D&B. Made from steel and designed for stamina, Balin Country gates and panels are tested to match up to robust ranch life. So instead of mending all those fences, round up a whole new one with Balin Country at D&B Supply. If you think buzzing insects are annoying, just think about your horses. Without arms to swing and swat with, flies and gnats can land right in their eyes and ears, leading to sores, infections, and even allergic reactions. 
So this summer, protect your horses with Dervet Fly Control Masks from D&B Supply. Dervet Fly Control Masks keep a horse's eyes fresh and clean, preventing infections and improving vision for your noble steed. Dervet Fly Control Masks, available with and without ear protection at your favorite D&B Supply. All right, Gretchen, the one other thing, what is it? You know, I told you about the green tomatoes at the end of the season. Mm -hmm. It seems so often in Idaho and eastern Oregon, we have leftover green tomatoes. And years ago, I found a recipe that is fabulous for leftover green tomatoes. What you do is you pick those green tomatoes, core them, wash them and core them, Mm -hmm. cut them up, put them in the food processor. So you process them until they're just kind of nubby, you know, little teeny tiny nubs. And then you take raspberry jello. And there are recipes online that you Mm -hmm. can find. But you can make mock raspberry jam with those green tomatoes. Really? Oh, yeah. And my daughter, who is a raspberry jam aficionado, Uh I never told her that it was green tomatoes. (laughs) And she never knew. And she thought it was mom's raspberry jam. And again, this is a recipe that you have to freeze, but no big deal. You can... Get that done in in short order. How interesting! So you've brought up the use of Jello a couple times. Are you talking about just using the powder, or actually making the gelatin? No, just using the powder. Okay. Yeah, you just throw it because you're going to use a gelatin type of a gelatin anyhow when you make jam or jelly. You know, Serto is a type of gelatin. Surewell is a, a type of gelatin, and so Jello is another gelatin, but it also has the flavoring. And I'm all about um, a lot of people who are diabetic need. Uh, sugar-free options. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I've been researching. I have a keen interest in that. Mm-hmm. And so we do um, sugar-free raspberry jam with the green tomatoes. And then, like I said, I made the cherry jam. Really? Cherry jelly, actually, is what it turned out to be. And it was delicious. So you're making raspberry jam with the green tomatoes and the jello. Oh, yeah. So the tomatoes, they're there for the consistency. They're there to give you the substance or mm-hmm. the... Mm-hmm. And then obviously the flavoring is coming from the jello. Right. And so how does that tomato flavor factor into all it that? It doesn't. It really doesn't. It's If you use nice fresh tomatoes, you, it's it's more of a, the green tomatoes, fresh tomatoes. You don't want any soft ones or any ones that are long in the tooth. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to make sure that you do the, the fresh. And it, it's just, it's amazing how good it is. And you know what? A lot of people who are listening are probably saying, well, I do the same thing with my zucchini. I do mm. that with my zucchini or I do that in the spring with my rhubarb and and you can. Really? Yeah, a little different p- flavor profile, mm-hmm. but absolutely. Yeah, very possible. But you want to make sure that you freeze it. Okay. So you've got to freeze it. Okay, yep. well, let's do this. That was a quick segment, but let's take our last commercial break and then when we come back, we'll jump into talking about fermenting a little bit. Great. There's more to being a cowboy or cowgirl than hard work on the ranch. Part of the cowboy lifestyle is hitting the town in your nicest hat and boots and dance until dawn with your best guy or gal. At D&B, we supply it all, including comfortable, stylish boots from Dan Post. Dan Post boots are known for their handcrafted cushion comfort without sacrificing design and style, making them perfect for long, fun summer nights. Come find a pair of Dan Post boots today at your favorite D&B supply. Know what looks good with a cowboy hat? Panhandle Western Apparel and Rock and Roll Denim, available at D&B Supply. 
Over 70 years ago, Panhandle started putting snaps on their popular gambler-style shirt and soon became a runaway hit with cowboys and cowgirls everywhere. In the 21st century, they formed rock and roll denim too, with fashion-forward looks and high-class jeans that fit any style. With designs both classic and fresh, get decked out for life in the West with Panhandle shirts and rock and roll denim at D&B. All right, Gretchen. Well, we're back. I want to remind everybody, we're speaking with Gretchen Anderson, the author of The Backyard Chicken Fight, as well as the upcoming book, Secrets of the Lazy Urban Gardener. Let's talk about fermenting. You had mentioned this as one of the four different ways of preserving food. And I, I have a lot of German heritage. And one of the things you brought up was sauerkraut. Yeah, yes. And we love, we do homemade German sausage here with mm-hmm. our own pigs. Really? Yep. Okay. Yeah. I want to be here for that. <laughs> okay. You're more than welcome. Uh, but we'll use our own pigs. We'll do everything from start to finish. Those pigs will be born here on our place and they will wind up in our freezer as German sausage. Wow. And uh, one thing I would love to do is instead of purchasing sauerkraut going forward to make with our German sausage, I'd love to be able to make it myself. So anxious to hear about fermenting, but you take it away. Oh, piece of cake. You know, mm-hmm. I got to say, uh, making sauerkraut was the first thing I fermented and did very well with it. And if I can do it, anyone can do it. <laughs> um, I could probably shoot you a tested and approved sauerkraut procedure mm-hmm. that you could uh, put up for the, the listeners somewhere, maybe even on the DMB supply site as well it's homemade sauerkraut's so much better than what you get in the store and so healthy for you so you know it's just it just takes salt salt and some sauerkraut cabbage there's a a certain type of cabbage you want to use and golly i made mine and fermented it a big old pot of it and it lasted for quite a while, which is really nice. Once you once you have the fermentation process finished, you want to bottle it, and then you just put it in the fridge, okay. and it stays forever, it seems. So let me just talk about fermentation just a bit. It's the oldest form of food preservation, right? Okay. Probably one of the coolest forms of food preservation. We had, as uh, the Master Food Safety Advisors, we had two beautiful women come in who are both nutritionists and they have traveled to the blue zones around the world and they live here in Idaho and they're just finishing a book and I wish I could remember the name of the book or maybe it's out by now but they have done a TED talk as well Mm -hmm. they interviewed people who were age 100 or older and they learned a lot about what these people would do one thing that they always did every day was eat something or drink something that was fermented. Really? There you go. <laughs> right? Okay. Well, maybe that meant they had a little bit of beer uh-huh. or maybe wine. But, you know, if you think about it, sourdough bread, cheese, yogurt, kimchi. They mm-hmm. went to Japan and mm-hmm. um, they were just astounded by the fact that every day these people had something that was fermented. Hmm. So after that, the University of Idaho put on a kombucha class for us because that's the big rage right now. It's very popular. Mm -hmm. Fermented tea, right? Uh Kombucha is fermented tea. And we all learned how to make kombucha. And I've been drinking it ever since and really like it. I remember a yoga teacher about four years ago telling us, that's all I drink now. I don't drink coffee anymore. That's my coffee. And I went, what the heck? Are you kidding me? Hmm. No coffee? But it's fermented tea. So it kind of makes sense. But just to get that fermentation in my body every day, I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Awesome. 
Okay, so I have read up on fermenting before, but really only when it comes to well, making beer and making sauerkraut. Uh-huh. I think that's that German heritage coming Must out. Must be. Uh, I read the sauerkraut recipes. They didn't look overly difficult to me, but the one thing I wasn't clear on is, do I need to go buy a piece of equipment so I can create that anaerobic environment? Mm, it depends on, uh, you need a, a weight, you know, to hold hold okay. everything down. A, a bag of water also works, too, to hold things down. Is that what you read? Yeah, something to that effect uh, where you have to have a container. Right. Crock in, is okay. a good thing to have. Okay. A crock is a good investment. Okay. And sometimes you can pick them up at the secondhand stores. Just mm-hmm. make sure there are no nicks or anything like that that could be holding bacteria in them. Got it. But I would suggest that if you are looking for a recipe to uh, produce your own sauerkraut, Google Okay, sauerkraut okay. recipe mm-hmm. dot edu or sauerkraut recipe university. Okay. So that when you Google it, it searches university tested and approved recipes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And follow that recipe that you find from a quote unquote land grant university. Okay. The universities around the country that have extension programs with them. Great. Affiliated with them. And and just to clarify, you've talked quite a bit about the University of Idaho and calling extension here, but for our listeners who are not in Idaho, can they get this information on the University of Idaho website? Oh, absolutely. And Oregon State University for mm-hmm. our listeners in Oregon, uh-huh. they are the land-grant university for Oregon. And there's a plethora of information on Oregon State's website, the extension offices. And Great. each county, most of the time, each county has its own extension office. It depends on what their specialties are, but um, uh, each county. So I, I'm a master gardener in Canyon County mm-hmm. and a master food safety advisor in Ada County. Okay. So, you know, each each county has its own thing. Got it. Gretchen, thank you very much for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you all for joining us today. And here is to you and your pursuit of the country lifestyle, however you define it. For the DNB Show, I'm Matt Breckwald. <laughs>